Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Everyone listening, hello, welcome to the podcast. I have a special guest. We have Amber Abila on the podcast today, a binge eating coach. And I know Amber, this is weird, we were just talking about this. I know Amber from on Online Instagram, but I've met her in person several times because we live in a similar area. But she's the first person where it's kind of backwards. So I met her in person first. Now we're doing the podcast online. So it's just kind of a trip for us. But anyway, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny. I just reached out to her one day and I was like, hey, you're a coach. I'm a coach. Let's be friends. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, we met up first before we have talked over video but I'm excited to chat today yeah no and it, we, I feel like we clicked pretty immediately we're both interested in the same things and I brought Amber yeah. on today because she has a lot of great ideas and she's helping a lot of people in the same spaces as, as me you know I'm, I'm more I focus more on bulimia recovery it seems like you're specifically for people with binge eating correct yeah yeah definitely more binge eating and then I also do overeating coaching because I found sometimes people lie in this middle area and they don't know really how to define themselves. And so I wanted to cater to both people. And also as people start healing from binge eating, they get into this space where it's like they might still be overeating, which is an improvement from binge eating, but they might want to work on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I feel like people, when they are going through recovery, they stop the binge eating, but then there's this weird area with food where they're still overeating and it's not as bad, but they still want to change it. But I feel like they have to change up their whole reasons for why they want to stop that because the reasons for stopping binging or or binging and purging is different than the reasons you want to stop overeating. They're two completely different things, even though they're similar. Yeah, yeah, similar, but different. And I think it's good to have like a coach help you through both of them because it can be like new territory and deciding like your reasons for stopping overeating like you said can be a little different and you want to make sure you know what those are so you can continue your journey on that Mm -hmm. well I was first going to ask you what you know what your story is one horrible thing happened to you that led you into this career path but let's touch on that subject for a second since we're on it what do you feel like are the Like what has to change between binge eating and overeating to overcome those things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of times it can be similar because you're still trying to like reduce the amount of food you're consuming in a period at like some level. Um, So a lot of times like the skills we learn with binge eating, like especially allowing urges and how to let those move through you, that can definitely be something that you apply to overeating too. But I think when we're overeating, it becomes more of a gray area because there is some overeating that can happen when you become a normal natural eater that we want to allow for and not say we have to get rid of all overeating. Whereas binge eating, we can pretty confidently say it's okay if we never binge again. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's learning to navigate like this middle ground. And I think it just comes down to like this personal decision that you have to make of how much overeating feels okay to you and how much 
is giving you the results you want of feeling good in your body. And for everyone that might be a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think the first thing you need to do is kind of decide how much overeating do I want to do? Which sounds like kind of a funny question, but we got to remember too, like we're not robots. We're going to have times where we go past our hunger signal or go back past our fullness signal a little bit. And if that happens, we got to decide, like, is this something we want to evaluate? Because maybe there's something you need to learn or there's something we need coaching on. There's an area we're still getting stuck. So maybe it's that, or maybe it's just something that is just part of life and being an imperfect human. And that's just something we need to accept and move on from. Mm, That's a really good way to put it. And you're right. How much People think it's, I'll never overeat again. And something big I had to learn in recovery is, no, you will overeat at some point. And that doesn't mean it's a disaster. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you have no self-control. And sometimes I feel like the intention behind overeating is the most important part. Are you overeating because you feel like you have no control and you have to, and um, you're doing it to emotionally cope in a way that doesn't feel good to you? Or are you overeating because you feel like, this works for me today and this is perfectly fine and I'm enjoying this because overeating when you hate yourself for it is a completely different vibe between overeating when you're just doing it purposefully and you have fun and it's enjoyable. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point too. And a lot of times like the behavior we're trying to get away from and heal from is like this out of control eating that feels like I'm not actually choosing it. Like I don't actually want Mm -hmm. this versus something that's very intentional and very mindful of like, yeah, you know, this food is delicious. I'm out with family and friends. I'm okay with going past that point. And I know that I'm choosing it. I feel in control and in charge while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good to just be empowered with your decisions. With binge eating, how do you approach stopping that with clients? Do you have tactics that you use with them or what do you do? Yeah. So um, I use quite a few tools. Um, we start with doing a food journal, which for me was really important because A lot of people's experience with like food journaling and tracking their eating has just been around like calories or diets or meal plans and like very structured and strict. And I think that like journaling out your meals can be really helpful to create awareness. And I think that's always the first step is to become aware of like what habits are we trying to change and what is there a certain type of day? Is there certain types of foods? Like what actually is going on? And it also helps people get into this scientific mindset with like a lot of curiosity and kindness for themselves. Because when we do this exercise, a lot of people will immediately go into judgment. So I feel like it's the first Mm -hmm. time they've ever had to like look neutrally and objectively at like, this is just what I'm eating. And then we can learn from it and start to change what we want to change from there. Um, So that's like a big thing I love to do, especially in the beginning and something that's like super simple you can do on your own too, is just trying to get really an objective of like, what am I eating and seeing if you can notice patterns within that. Yeah. And you're Um, right about the judgment thing too. So and so many people judge themselves unconsciously. It's just like secondhand nature to them. They don't realize that they're doing it and they're feeling bad about it. And really a lot of stuff that they're doing when you're tracking in a food journal, I feel like it can make you much more detached and just looking at what are the patterns? What's the data here? For sure. Um, I love talking about urges as well. Like urges are my favorite topic ever, I think, because learning about urges were so huge in my journey. I started, um, my journey was kind of, I started restricting food like really early on and I developed bulimia 
and I went to therapy for it and therapy really helped me kind of the purging part, but the binge eating part wasn't so successful um, until I found Katherine Hansen with Brain Over Binge. And I mean, I learned about her like in like 2015, like way back when. And um, learning about urges has just been like such a huge part of my journey and just like how the brain works with forming habits and how it's like not our fault or I felt like in therapy, they were always trying to figure out like my big trauma in life that happened. And there mm. just like, wasn't one. Like I had like my parents divorce, but I was like, I don't know that happened a while ago. Like, I don't really know if this is connected to it today. Mm. Um, learning about my urges was like a huge part of my journey and helped significantly with the binge eating part of it. Mm, yeah. But there's so, so many things you said there that I have like ideas that sparked. One thing about the trauma is I had... I feel similar to you, like my childhood was relatively okay. And there were some obviously things that happened, but it never seemed like a big deal, especially I was comparing myself to people who've gone through really awful things that created their eating disorder. But I do think now that I'm like going through my life and helping people, I can see little connections that maybe led from childhood to my eating disorder. But even though those things are relevant and helpful to understand, doesn't necessarily help you in the moment. And I, that's why I think, you know, you need to have the emotional piece of it, but you also need to understand the tactics. Um, with the, it's interesting too, you said before we talked about urges, do you, I guess you don't, you typically work with people who are binge eating and overeating, but for you, if you had to do recovery over again, do you feel like stopping purging first is the most crucial piece or stopping binge eating first? Yeah. I mean, for me, the reason I think I stopped at first is it honestly felt easier because mm. I felt like it had more negative effects in a sense. Like, um, because I was vomiting, like I just knew that it was affecting my teeth and I could feel it like in my esophagus and I could just like notice the physical effects so much more. And of course the binges had a lot of physical effects, but for me, it almost felt like I knew that the purging benefit or the purging consequences would be more long-term almost in my mind at that time. And so it felt easier for me to be like, I need to stop this at least first now. And so one, I thought it was easier, but two, I, I do think it's more important to stop the purging first because, you know, I'm sure you talk about this a lot when we do the purging, it kind of reinforces the binge cycle and it almost becomes mm -hmm. like an excuse of like, well, I can just purge after. So it almost becomes like your permission to binge. And so by eliminating that as an option, like, I am not going to purge anymore. Like I am committing to that aspect. It made it like, so I really had to think about why I was binge eating. And the fact that if I binge, there was nothing I could do about it after. Like I just had to sit through it. I just had mm -hmm. to deal with whatever was happening and figure it out from there. And so I think having that not as like a crutch anymore helped me to kind of move forward with binge eating recovery. Yeah, no, that's brilliantly put. Thank you for saying that. Because I've I've gone back and forth of what people, what do people need to stop first? And I stopped the binging and purging at the same time. It's just like I stopped the binging and the purging. But um, after that, I still have more urges to purge. So I really had to also make it not an option because like you said, purging, it feels like it's the safeguard, but it really is just opening up the doors to erratic eating and kind of the excuse to eat more sometimes. And uh, yeah, it's just, People think it's, it's, res what am I trying to say? People think it's resetting, but it's not actually. Also something you said about the binging and when you can't purge, you have to kind of accept that that is the reality. Um, 
it's such a beautiful practice, even though people think that's awful. And I'm sure if people are listening, you're like hyperventilating, like, what do you mean? You just sat with it and dealt with it. But when you really sit with yourself after a binge and you have to process and move forward, it brings on a whole new level of responsibility and a whole new level of figuring out what to do, even if you don't have the tools that you were using before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it definitely kind of forces you forward and kind of like a way you don't really want to, but it almost like um, just really speeds up the recovery process, I think, because you're like, all right, if I've decided I'm not using this as a crutch anymore, like what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you take away that fail safe, it's like, okay, you you have to get creative. And we are all, a lot of us, like so many people I talk to, they think they're not very smart or they don't think they're very creative. And actually when you remove options, you that side of you comes out and people are smarter than they think. Okay, so what are your, you said you like talking about urges and you really like urges. What are your top tips for dealing with urges to binge? Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> um, I feel so bad. Amber asked me for like the questions <laughs> or before the podcast episode and now I'm just asking completely random questions. So apologies. No, that's huge because I mean, like at the core of it, like allowing urges is just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think like when you think about that, it becomes like very oversimplified, but it's almost in a good way. Like when I'm talking to people and they're like, well, I just like, I just have too much to do. Like I can't handle this urge right now. It's like, you don't have to handle it. Like you don't have to do anything. You just have to let it be there. Right. And it's just like any other annoying thought we have in the day. Like we don't freak out every time, you know, like for example, my cat has been really annoying lately and she's been like jumping and climbing on my furniture and I get really annoyed by it, but I don't sit there and think, you know, now I got to go journal about that. And I got to go do some breathing techniques. I just like see the annoyance and the thought that I am really mad at my cat right now. And it just kind of like floats in the background of my head and I continue working for the day. And I think sometimes like we we have lots of techniques and strategies we can use for urges that are really helpful. But I think sometimes just like we forget that at the basis of it, all we need to do is see what's happening. Like notice that this is just a thought that's creating a feeling in our body, allowing it to be there and we can just move on with our day. And it might feel uncomfortable and it might not be the most fun experience you've ever had, but we do this every single day. And also thinking about, like other desires we get during the day. Like maybe you see something at Target that you really want and you're like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. I would love that shirt. But then you decide, you know, I have enough shirts. I don't need it. You don't Mm -hmm. freak out about that. You don't make a big deal. You just see the desire, decide that it's not something you want to act on and move on with your day. Yeah. You don't tell yourself this whole story about it. I think that's brilliant. And again, I feel like people listening to that, especially like the most triggering thing I ever heard in my eating disorder was it's so easy. Just don't eat and just don't binge. And at first it was like very, very bad when someone told me that, but there was truth to it, even though the person was oversimplifying it. And I think so often we want to make things very complicated and you're right. There are tactics you can use. And I think sometimes those tactics that come more complicated ones can be helpful for them understanding how to deal with it. But for people out there listening that are maybe resisting that, they're like, what do you mean do nothing? I just want to reiterate you can just let it be there. Like Amber saying, you don't actually have to react to it. And something I said to a client recently that resonated with her is you don't need to solve an emotion to be able to deal with it, or you don't need to make an emotion go away 
to be able to solve it. They don't need solving. You just need to write it through. And ultimately, if you want the urges to permanently go away, it is going to take you actually not acting on it repeatedly over and over again till the neural pathways kind of reset or get faded. <laughs> I'm not using the correct science terminology, but you know, no, that's really helpful. Um, so what with your eating disorder and like bulimia history, what led you ultimately to get help for that? I think it just got to the point where I just recognized that if I didn't get help when I did, I would probably be struggling for this forever. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have like this one moment where they're just like, I need help. And I know initially, like my first thing that happened was, I remember I had just had like a binge and all the cabinets in my house were open. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I was living at home and my mom got home and she was like, why are all the cabinets open? Like, and why are there so yeah. many wrappers? <laughs> and I just was like, I just felt so called out. And I was like, this is becoming something that is kind of getting out of hand and that other people are noticing now. And I just like realized I was like, I got to get help for this. Like I cannot continue to live this way. And so that's when mm -hmm. I initially started going to therapy um, and therapy and like my initial coaching experiences helped me for a good amount of time, but I was still kind of counting calories in my head, still very like restrictive with food. So when I went to college and college was like a huge, big change for me, mm -hmm. everything kind of came back up again. And I started like going backwards in a sense. Um, and I think it was just kind of sparked by, you know, there's so many new changes. I had never experienced like a dining hall before. I would just felt so out of control around food because I couldn't have like the same food rules that I did at home. Mm -hmm. And so college just became like a whole nother big mess, especially. And I think also I joined a sorority. I just felt so much pressure to be in like a smaller body again. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started slowly kind of like restricting a little bit and I was overeating a little and then it just snowballed more and more until I was like full-blown binge eating again um, and then I reached out for more coaching and I ended up getting weight loss coaching because I thought that was what I needed at the time and I had a similar experience <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. like oh I just it's weight loss coach sounds great um, and I learned some really awesome mindset tools for that but it was ultimately not until I I mean, I, I just did that coaching, but once I started applying those tools to, okay, how can I heal my relationship with food? Because clearly only focusing on weight loss is not working. And I was just continuing to gain weight. I was continuing to binge. So I kind of started having to do my own outside research, um, applying all that I learned in those tools with weight loss, but just applying them to healing my relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And then that's ultimately when I started to actually heal and make changes and come out of it. Wow. Okay. That's really helpful. And especially with, it's interesting. You said when you were at home, it was working, but then when you changed environments, that's when you had to switch things up again. And especially we don't talk about it, but college in particular dining halls, they're just a, a bulimics or binge eaters worst nightmare because there's just all this food. You can stay there as long as you want and endless eating. And then the pressures of college, I can't imagine that would have been really tough. I went to a smart arts, art school. They did not have a dining hall. So I didn't have to deal with that sort of madness. But um, the thing you said about weight loss is interesting too. I think it's a really natural inclination, even though it doesn't make sense as we're saying it out loud, to reach out for weight loss help because that is what you think of when you think of controlling food and how to, because you feel out of control with food. So you're like, I must just need help managing my weight. And 
even though there's a lot of bad programs out there for weight loss, there are some good ones. And I do think a lot of the principles you use in weight loss are actually with the principles you use in binge eating recovery, uh, because you are learning how to manage urges and control desires for food, but in a much more self-love sort of way, a more caring way that I feel like some weight loss programs teach. Right, right. And I think ultimately we're trying to solve the wrong problem. Like the problem is not that we're gaining weight. The problem is our eating behaviors and our relationship with self and with our body. And so, yeah, maybe we're like using some good tools, but we're applying it to something that's not so helpful versus what we really need to change, which is our relationship with food and ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll never forget when I listened to that weight loss podcast the first time and she's like, the reason you're overeating isn't because you suck. It's because you're so mean to yourself. And I mean, that's not always the case for people, but I was talking to myself in a way that was so, so horrible. And then I wondered why I was emotionally eating all the time. It really had quite the correlation. Um, well, it's all been really helpful. I want to kind of, I feel like we're moving fast, but I do to keep us on time. What do you feel like if you could give advice to anyone out there who's struggling with bulimia recovery, what's one thing you would tell them? Mm -hmm. So I thought of like five different things, but I'm going to narrow it down to one because I think (laughs) there's so many things. Um, But I think ultimately the biggest thing for me was removing the perfection from really my whole life because I was always like the biggest perfectionist, always like I remember writing books as a kid and I would throw away the entire book that I had just written if I like missed messed up a word (laughs) I was like like this needs to be the perfect book and then in school like that followed me all throughout school and then of course that applied to my eating and you know we say we want to get really good at doing b minus work because Mm -hmm. we always strive to do a plus like especially if we're perfectionist and like you know, A minus isn't good enough. B plus would be horrible. But this concept of striving for a B minus, not just only in food, but in everything of your life will just change so, so much for you because we get so stuck for so long when we're trying to be perfect and we end up making no progress. And I think a lot of times we try to be perfect because we think it will help us get to our goal faster. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it slows everything down because we're never able to reach our mini goals because they're never perfect. And so then we can never reach our big goals. Mm, that's really good advice. Yeah. The whole time you're talking, I was thinking like, I'm really good at B minus work. I can't. I was so, I'm such a bad, I, I want to be perfectionist sometimes, but I'm such a horrible perfectionist. I just can't go through crap of being it. So I'm a B minus person by necessity, but it helps. Um, but yeah, no, when you're a perfectionist about everything, I see it all the time in recovery when I'm working with clients, they'll have a slip up and I'm grateful that they're working with me. So, because they'll have all this drama and think that I, I have to give up now. I'm never going to get there. And I'm like, no, this is supposed to happen. You're supposed to screw up. You're supposed to make mistakes. I don't know if you've seen those reels. They're painful to watch, but like of a toddler trying to pour milk for the first time and they pour the milk and like the whole gallon basically doesn't make into the glass. And there's this inch of milk that made into the glass. I don't know. I feel like there's better ways to teach a toddler how to pour milk, but it's a great example of like the first time you do something, that's going to be a hot mess. And over time it will get better. And through that hot mess is where you learn. Yeah. And I am definitely much more of like a B minus person now. And I can tell you like the amount of work I'm able to get done in a week now, just like astounds me because 
you know, you just like decide when it's good enough versus when you're trying to be perfect, like nothing is ever good enough. And mm-hmm. if you think about like with your food, it's like, you're never going to have the perfect eating habits because the perfect eating habits don't exist. Like you just get to decide what works for you and then what is good enough. And at any time you can just decide like the way I'm eating is good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a decision to make. It's not like an objective thing that you, someone can look at and be like, yes, your eating is good. Like, no, it's something yeah. you get to decide yourself based on what you want. Brilliant. Such wisdom in that. And that's something I wanted to ask you earlier, but making decisions, it you really can't just decide when you think it's good. And that's why I see a lot of people go wrong in recovery too. They're like, is it this this method? I was just talking to someone today and they're like, I think I'm a sugar, a sugar addict, but I don't know for sure. It's like, we just need to decide a tactic and test it out for a while and then re-decide at a point where we decide to re-decide. You know, it's just, you just need to make a decision and see what's going to happen because ultimately you will never know until you try. But people constantly are trying to make the right decision, which doesn't exist. And then because they can't make the right decision without doing it, they'll never freaking know. So it's just this back and forth process. Um, it There's something else I was going to say, but I lost it. It's gone. But I think that's brilliant advice to end on. So thank you. Were there any other honorable mentions? I know you said you have five things. You're allowed to say more if you want. <laughs> um, We'll stick with this, but I just wanted to say too that I have always been a horrible decision maker or so, so I've told myself, which is interesting that you're talking about this because like in high school, I would never make a decision without consulting my friends first. Like I would have to ask them and then it'd be funny. They would tell me. And then I would do the exact opposite of what they told me or like, I wouldn't listen to what they said, but it was like, I wanted other people's opinions, which I think also led into my eating where I was always wanting to know, like, how did other people eat? What was like the right way to eat? And I never trusted Mm -hmm. like my own self, my own wisdom to decide that. And that just took so long to figure out and so long to lean into that trust and trusting yourself is like a huge process when you're going through eating disorder recovery, because Mm -hmm. it's something that you've lost for a long time. But just recognizing that there is literally no right way to do anything in life. And no one can decide what the right way to eat is. And if we did have a right way to eat, then everyone would be doing it. Everyone Mm -hmm. in the world would eat the exact same because that was the right way to do it. But no, like everyone in the world eats completely different. There's so many styles of eating. There's so many types of eating like people eat all different ways and so just like recognizing that there's no right way to do it one feels kind of terrifying but two also freeing mm-hmm. um because it, there's this period where it's really scary and you don't know because you've tuned out of your own wisdom for so long that you're not even sure what's in there like what wisdom do I have but what's happening yeah. more <laughs> Yeah. As when you slowly start to tune into that and just like one by one, like decision by decision, trusting that like what you're doing is right for you and deciding that it's right for you, then you can start to build up that self-trust and confidence again. Absolutely. Yeah. Something else too, while you were talking um, that I I remembered what I wanted to say, which is just because you're making a decision now and you, you already reiterated this, but just because you're making a decision now and your recovery does not mean you have to stick with that decision the rest of your life. So if you get it wrong, you can just change the decision again and you can just switch it up. You can um, also, I think the decisions that you make, the things you'll decide to do in the beginning of recovery are not the same thing as what, like, I'm sure you do not eat 
the way you did when you were starting out your recovery. Neither do I. Like the completely different patterns. And the me that was, you know, eating Halo Top ice cream and chocolate syrup every night would be like, how did you do what you're doing now? But if she would have, it wouldn't have worked for the way I'm eating now. So your decisions aren't permanent. You can change them at any time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's going to change too. Like as you move through your journey and as your life changes and as your circumstances changes, like we're going to have to make different decisions, but we can change those anytime. And then we can decide that our new decision is the right decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The power of decision-making. This is such a coachy episode, but it really is. And like for people in the recovery, like maybe you just need to decide something and stick with it and see what happens from it. That's the best piece of advice. Okay. Well, where can people find you, Amber? Yeah. So Instagram is probably the best way to find me. I'm at the confident eater, um, or you can look up Amber Abila. It should pop up too. Um, I have a Facebook group that's called become a confident eater that you can join. And then you can also find me on my website, um, the confident mm, I like that. I like that. It's a, almost a label for your people too. Like we're a confident eater. I guess my name is Binge Breakers, but I never refer to my audience as Binge Breakers, even though that was kind of the general idea. I need to come up with a name for people so they can feel like they are confident eater as well. But I can't steal your thing. I got to come up with my own thing, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I thought of it and I was like, you know, I'm just going to stick with this. And I love it now because it's like what people describe how they want to be. Like they want to be a confident eater instead of like the scared, frightened, hopeless eater. It's like this big transformation. And so... Yes, I'm going by the confident eater. There's another confident eater who does like uh, food work with kids. And so she took the confidenteater.com, which I was a little salty about, but I got the confidenteater.org. So I'm over on there. That's okay. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe at some point, hopefully she doesn't get a business. I'm rooting for her too, but maybe you'll get that website URL at some point. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on here today. Um, do you have anything also... Like if people want to work with you, what's the best way to do that? I know you said where to find them, but how can they work with you? Yeah. So right now I'm offering one-on-one coaching. So that is the best way to work with me. Um, I'm going to be releasing a group around mid-April. So depending on when you're listening to this, that will be coming then. That's going to be the most affordable way to work with me ever. So if you're interested in more community support, I'm going to have that group coming up as well. Awesome. Okay. That's really helpful to know. Well, I'll let you go. I'll stop the recording. We'll stop it here for the people listening. But thank you everyone for listening. And Amber, thank you for your advice. Lots of golden pieces of wisdom. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching, and private coaching available to you right now.